2. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We come before you today. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, we just ask that you'd be with us as we, as we uh, dig into your word, that you uh, watch over us. God, make sure that uh, all the things that get said is glorifying to your name, glorifying to your word, what you would have us to know. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with us as we go into Sunday school, be with us as we go into second service. God, be with us today as we just come to worship you. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that, uh, all that you do in us. And we, uh, God, we just ask that you, would, uh, that you would guide our thoughts today, guide our hearts as we just uh, seek to reach out to you, seek to worship you, seek to hear from you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 2. Last time we talked about living worthy of the gospel, living consistent with the gospel. We talked about Basically what that meant was striving together for the unity of the gospel, striving together in, in one mind, striving together to, uh, to uh, be fearless against our enemies, fearless against those who oppose us, all those things that we saw. Today, again, again Paul's going to continue in chapter 2. He's going to continue talking about unity. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, man, we're going to do that again. We're going to talk about unity in the body again. Uh, yes, we are, because that's the next thing on Paul's list. He continues this. It's a very important subject. It's something that, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I'm not going to give you nothing new, nothing wonderful that you uh, never heard before, that the church has never heard in 2,000 years today. But uh, it, it may... It may um, it may amaze you to know that uh, when he talks about unity in the body, when he talks about the, the church being unified together, there's pretty much every one of his epistles have a section where it talks about unity. I was going to just read them to you, but it was so many verses, I, I thought you know it might just uh, drag on and on. There's a section in Ephesians, in Galatians. Of course, we're reading it in the Philippians right now. There's one in Colossians. There's one in 1 Corinthians. There's one in 2 Corinthians. We can go on and on and on. Unity in the body of Christ, unity together, striving for the gospel is one of Paul's uh, big things. It's one of his, uh, you know, we, we tend to think, especially today, we tend to think, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing pretty good and I'm not messing up too bad and, and everything's going well, uh, everything's fine and y'all just need to leave me alone and it's all good. When reality is Paul talks about being unified together, he's actually going to tell them today that they need to complete his joy, to fulfill his joy by being unified with one another. Last time we were talking about unity, we were talking about striving together for the gospel, and it was pretty much focused on outside. It was telling us, you know, you guys need to be together striving for the gospel. You need to uh, be fearless before your adversaries, the people that are going to oppose you, people that are going to persecute you, people that are going to do all those things in your life. Well, today in chapter 2, as he turns this corner, he's going to talk about being, uh, being united together inside the body. Satan's best tactics sometimes are not the, the raging heathen out there wanting to persecute and, and destroy the church. Most of the time, his, his main tactic, his best stuff is given inside the church. When folks are, are railing against each other, there's strife, there's people uh, seeking vainglory, people seeking independence to do what they want to do, people seeking to get over on somebody, just people seeking not to be a part of the body of Christ, not to be invested in their life, not to have to deal with all the stuff. You know, I got my own stuff. I don't want to deal with none of y'all stuff. 
I don't want y'all putting all your problems on me. I got my own problems and I, I just need to deal with my own things. I just need to come and worry about my own stuff and keep my mind focused on my own things. And you guys focus on your own things and let's all just get our own house in order and get everything together. And I don't want to have to be bothered with all the, all the other stuff. That's a, a, a thinking, a mindset that we have today. And so what we're going to talk about today is being inside the church. Flip over, it's one page over in my Bible. In, uh, no, it's on the same page, actually. In chapter 4 of Philippians, this was needed in the Philippians. He's got these two ladies. It says in chapter 4, verse 2, I'm just going to read one verse to you. It says, I beseech you, Euodius, and beseech uh, Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. He's t- calling these two women by name. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also. He's talking about these two women. Obviously, there was some kind of dis- disagreement going on. There was some kind of strife going on. There was some kind of thing going on where these two ladies were, were at each other and probably causing trouble in the church just because they were at it. He calls them fellow workers. He calls them fellow laborers. So he's not saying get them two wicked women out of there. He's not doing all that kind of stuff. These are fellow laborers with them. He's saying you guys help them. You guys uh, encourage them. You guys work with them. He said, but I beseech them to be these two ladies. I beseech y'all to be in the same mind in the Lord. And so him talking about unity, him talking about being together for the gospel, being together as the body of Christ. It's not, not just because he's shooting off his mouth in the air. There's things going on at Philippi. There's things the Philippians need to know. There's things that they need to understand. And there's things that he could say to Christ church. You know, you guys are need to be unified together for the gospel. You need to be about each other's things. You need to weep with those who weep. You need to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's not just about you personally. It's about us together for the gospel, living according to what Christ has called us to be. So let me just read. I'm only going to do four verses today. Chapter two, the first four verses, it says, Paul is, he had just told us, you know, to be of the same mind. Don't be terrified of your adversaries. Uh, he says, you know, you're called to suffer just called, just like you're called to believe in the gospel. He says in uh, chapter two, he says, if there be, therefore, he says, therefore, because of all the things that I've said, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, he says, fulfill ye my joy that you be like minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And then he explains it saying, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so what what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about Paul is showing them, look, You guys are unified. You're in the body of Christ. This is, you know, a lot of times, especially in our, in our mindset, we think, you know, well, I've got the forgiven sign. I've came and I've given my life to Christ. And I'm talking about for real saved. I'm not saying people who just think they've given, I'm talking about saved people for real saved people. Uh, They've come and given their life to Christ. They've come and trusted him. And the mindset that we have, the picture in our mind is just 
that God has reached down and he hung a forgiven sign around us. And now we're walking around forgiven. And that's really, I mean, that's true. We're walking around with a stamp of justified, uh, forgiven, uh, righteous in Christ. We're walking around with that stamp on our life, with that seal on our life. But understand that also, it also brings us into a community of believers. It brings us together, united in Christ and with the spirit of God living inside of us that joins us together. One of the things you see over and over and over and over again, you can't read the New Testament without being uh, struck by the fact that over and over again, it says that you will love one another. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Children, this is what I tell you to do. As I have loved you, you love one another over and over and over and over and over. I had, I can't even count them all. If I put them all up on the screen, we'd have to scroll it through because there's so many of them talking about loving one another, being together in community. And so what he's going to do here, what he's telling us here is he says, you know, each one looks on others and, and, and be of like mind, be of one mind together. He's not just saying, Hey guys, do good. He's not just saying you guys need to do better. I mean, he is saying that, but he's not just saying go out and fix yourself. Go out and work at it. You're doing you're not doing good enough. You need to be like minded. Go out and keep your mind on other people's things, just like you keep them on your things. When it talks about that, it's not talking about just coveting neighbor's stuff, but if you know what it's talking about. It's talking about weeping with those who weep, helping those who need help, rejoicing with those who rejoice, investing your life in someone, investing your life in the people around you, investing your life in the body of Christ. He's not saying just go out and be better. He's saying pretty much the same thing that we talked about last week. He's saying, be who you are. Be who God has made you. He says, if all these things are true, basically, I can sum up the whole four verses in a nutshell. If you have been saved, this is how you will act. He says, if these things are true, if there is consolation in Christ, if there's comfort of love, if there, he's saying using those if statements the same way I did last week when I said, if the gospel is true, this is what's going to happen. If the gospel is true, this is what it's going to look like. Paul's doing the same thing here. So he's not saying, hey guys, the, you might not have no consolation in Christ. He's talking to the church and he's saying, basically he's saying, since you have consolation in Christ, since you have the comfort of love, this is how it will be uh, manifest in your life. This is how it will, it will cause you to act. This is how you need to respond to the gospel that you have been given. This is how you need to respond to the grace that you've been given. And you see that over and over again. That's not a new concept. You guys know that if you have received grace, you are to give grace. You know, just like the, the servant guy who wouldn't forgive the debtor after his debt was forgiven. When you have been forgiven and you have received grace, the, the worst thing you can do is go out and not give somebody else grace. And it's not just because, hey, guys, you guys are need to you need to work harder. You need to do better when you refuse. Let me just <clears throat> use this as an example. When you and I refuse to give grace to each other. When we refuse to uh, to give uh, the same grace that we have received to each other, what we're saying is Jesus Christ is enough to pay for my sin, but he's not enough to pay for your sin. I need something else. I can't give you grace. I need you to pay me back. I, I'm owed something because you have offended me in a way that can't be paid for by the blood of Christ. 
And that is blasphemy. I mean, that's, that is taking the cross of Christ and making it no effect. And so when you refuse to be like-minded, when you refuse to invest your life in the body, when you refuse to be part of the, the church of Jesus Christ, when you refuse to be like-minded, what you're saying is the, the, the spirit of God that lives in me is just for me. The spirit, the, 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 the crucifixion that came to forgive my sins and bring me the grace of Christ. It's just for me. I, nobody else. It, it doesn't pay for all those, you know, all those people out there. You can imagine if it was two women here in chapter four, verse two, that were at each other and needed uh, count Paul to write to them and say, look, I'm just beseeching y'all to be in the same mind. You can imagine folks around them going, well, Paul, I know you're telling me, me to be like-minded. I mean, but come on, you don't know some of these folks. I mean, some of these folks is just, I mean, they, they kind of hard to get along with. Some of these folks is, you know, they just after their own stuff. Some of these folks are just downright nasty. And so you're telling me to be like-minded. You're telling me to, to give of myself to them who really don't give anything and really don't deserve anything. And all those things, Paul's saying, yes, if you receive grace, because when Christ saved you, you didn't deserve anything. When Christ saved you, you hated him. You were an enemy of Christ. If you've been born again before that time, you were an enemy of Christ by your wicked works. And in your mind, you had enmity against Christ. And when you and I were yet sinners, Christ came and he saved us for no other reason than he loved us. Just the way that we were. Now, he loves us too much to keep us that way, but he loved us just the way we were. And so Paul's telling them, look, the power to be like-minded, the power to invest yourself with each other, the power to be one in Christ, in the body of Christ, it doesn't come from you. So don't walk out the door today saying, you know what? I, I probably need to get more involved. I probably need to be better. I probably need to... To, to help folks more. I probably need to be part of this body of Christ. The power to do that comes from the gospel. That's why he's saying, if there is any consolation, if you have any comfort and love, if you have fellowship with the spirit, if you have been given mercy, he says, fulfill my joy and be like-minded with each other. Strive with, with each other for the gospel. Now, let me just show you these things one at a time. He says, if there's any consolation in Christ. Now, what he's saying there, listen, remember, Paul's in prison now. He's in prison and the Philippians are being persecuted. All these things are going on. And he's saying, look, you have a consolation. You have comfort in the fact that Christ has died for you. If you have any consolation in Christ, he's going to say, fulfill my joy and be of the same mind with each other. Strive with one another. Strive with one another for the gospel. He says, look, I know that I'm in prison and I know that you guys are being persecuted. And remember, they're worried about what's going to happen. They don't understand what's going on. They're, they're worried about the, the world that they live in and what's going to be going on in it, the trials and tribulations. But understand that we're presented, that we have consolation in Christ. We have comfort in the fact that Christ has died for our sins. That we have rest. And it doesn't matter what trial that you go through. It doesn't matter what tribulation that happens in this life. It doesn't matter what goes on in the midst of your personal life, in the midst of the world, in the midst of your family, in the midst of all those things. We deal with those things and there's, there's, there's suffering that goes on. He told us in the last chapter that is given to you to suffer for his name. So we, I'm not making light of any of that 
that thing, those things at all. But it says you and I, we have consolation in Christ in the fact that we can rest. We don't have to worry about, am I doing uh, what needs to be done to, to operate through this hard time or through this trial? We follow Christ and let him take care of the trials. Let him work all things together for good. I told uh, uh, some people this week. You don't have to worry about all the things in your life spinning around like plates on those sticks. You ever seen that guy that, that, that runs around with spinning those plates and every time one of them plates starts getting slowing down, he has to run over and spin that thing and start it again. You, you got all these things going on, all these irons in the fire, all these worries, all these fears, all these things that are happening. Am I, am I going to be able to pay this bill? And what about my job? Am I going to do well? Am I going to get through this course or this test or uh, how, how is my kid? kids going to survive in this world. And, and I worry about what they, you know, you got all these worries, all these fears. The reality is if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things are just going to take care of themselves. Not saying you won't ever have problems, not say you won't ever go through anything, but if you focus on Christ and following after him, he is the one that's going to take care of those things. And so we have consolation in Christ, even in the midst of our fears and our worries and all the things that we have that are not working out the way we think they should, there's going to come a day when everything's made right. There's going to come a day when there's not going to be any more sickness and parting and suffering. And there's going to come a day when Christ redeems the creation and everything that's wrong, everything that's crooked is made right. We have such a consolation in Christ. If you've been saved, Christ has given you such rest and victory and comfort, even in the midst of all the stuff. And then he says, if there's comfort in love, when he's talking about there's the love of the father, the love of the father, the love the father has for you. Do you realize because of Christ, because of what he's done for you, because of the cross, because of his sacrifice, the father, you've heard us say it many, many times. The father looks down at you and he sees nothing but his perfect child. He sees nothing but his perfect son, his perfect daughter. That should give you some comfort to realize that no matter what, the father loves you with a love that he has for his own begotten son. You, you think about, I've told you this many times, but you think about Christ being baptized in the, in the Jordan and the father speaking from heaven and saying, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. <clears throat> and you say, wow, I wish I could be that good. I wish God would look at me like that. But if you are in the gospel, you have the comfort of knowing that the father sees you in this same way, sees you as his son, sees you as his daughter. There is no sin. Listen to me now. It's important. There's no sin that you can do that will deny or destroy the work of Christ on Calvary. God does not look down at his children and say, well, because you did that, I don't love you as much anymore today. Because you did that, you're going to have to work your way back into my good graces. There's nothing that you can do to earn this salvation, but there's nothing you can do to destroy this salvation either. And there is a comfort in knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You understand, no, no created thing. Anything, point to me something that's not created. You can't really, because the only thing not created is God. But there is no created thing 
that can separate you and I, those who've been born again, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we have consolation in Christ. We have the comfort of knowing that God himself loves us with an unconditional love, not because we're worthy, not because we're good enough, not because we're doing everything right, but because Jesus paid for our sin and all that punishment, all that wrath was poured out upon him and it's gone. The next thing he says, fellowship of the spirit. I'm gonna have to speed up just a little bit. I ain't gonna get done. It's not just a forgiven sign hung around your neck, a stamp saying, hey, you're good. Don't worry about it. You have, think about this now, you have consolation in Christ. You have the comfort of the love of the Father uh, on your life. No matter how good you're doing, no matter how good you feel, but you also have God himself living inside of you. I mean, God didn't just, he's not just some entity way out there in space somewhere who's looked down and said, you know what? I'm going to stamp this person forgiven and it's all good and everything's fine. No, he came to dwell inside your heart, inside your mind, inside your soul. He came and he lives. If you've been born again, you have fellowship with the spirit, ongoing fellowship with God. You are participating with the work of God himself as he changes your life, as he sanctifies you. God in the Old Testament only dwelled in in holiness. It only dwelled in holy places. You probably all know the story about the high priest with the rope around his, around his ankle going into the holy of holies. He was so holy that, it, that he would die if there was sin upon him and all that. God is, is only, he only dwelt in those holy places, but you and I as the body of Christ have been sanctified. You and I have been made holy. Not because of our own holiness, not because of our own works, but because of Christ. So the spirit of the living God can come and lives inside of us. And so Paul's saying, look, if you have any consolation in Christ, if you've got any comfort in the love that the father's bestowed upon you, if you have fellowship with the spirit that lives inside of you, he's going to say, be united together. Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not. But in that verse, in verse one, he shows all three persons of the Trinity uniting together to bring salvation to you, uniting together to bring comfort to you, uniting together to bring holiness to you, to redemption to you. You've got the consolation that's in Christ. He came and he died on the cross for you chose to give his life for you. You've got the love that the father bestowed upon you that you are now a child of God, loved by him. And you have the spirit of God that has come and indwelled you. They have united together and they were never disunited, but he's using it as an example. God himself has come together. The persons of the Trinity have united in your salvation. And he said, because that is a reality, because God has done this for you and you now have a new heart. He said, fulfill my joy. In verse two, he says, fulfill my joy that ye be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Now, understand what he's saying here. It it, it just it it really is kind of. It's amazing to me. I mean, you think about Paul's in jail, right? And and uh, Philippians is all about the advancing of the gospel. 
advancing of the gospel in jail, wherever you're at, he's going to go on and on and on about the gospel going forward, no matter what. If Paul has already said, look, I'm in jail, but I rejoice because the gospel is going forth. He's already told us that there are people that are against him that are preaching the gospel. But you know what? As long as Christ is being preached, I rejoice. He's going to go on in Philippians and say rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He's going to talk about joy and rejoicing over and over again as it deals with the gospel going forth. And so right here, when he says, look, if you've got comfort, if you've got consolation, if you've got fellowship of the spirit, if all these things are real in your life and the gospel is real in your life. He says, I want you to fulfill my joy. I want you to complete my joy. What would you expect would be coming next? I would expect, I I, I just, it baffles me. I would expect him to say, I want you to fulfill my joy by, you know, whatever, sending out missionaries. I want you to fulfill my joy by, by growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in scripture. I want you to fulfill my joy by, 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 Growing in in your outreach to people. I want you to fulfill my joy by by growing in holiness and and showing your love to the world and showing your your righteousness that God has changed. I mean, all those things are vital parts of the Great Commission. So I'm not there's nothing wrong with any of those. Those are all commanded in Scripture. Those are things we're supposed to do. But that's not what he says. He says, if you fulfill, I want you to fulfill my joy. He said that you all, you Philippian, he's talking to this specific church, these people in the city of Philippi, fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. What does that mean? Really? He's talking about he's talking about being united together in a local body of Christ. He's talking to Philippians. He's talking about them in their church. He's saying, be united together in your heart and in your mind. He's talking about something that we've talked about a lot because scripture talks about it a lot. He's talking about investing your life in the body of Christ. He's he's not just talking about, he's talking about two things. He's talking about your mind, the first and the last thing that he says. Be like-minded, be of one mind. Those Those are the two ends. You see it in verse two? Like-minded, be of one mind. That means we're not unified with false teaching, false doctrine, all that kind of stuff. We're unified in doctrine. We're unified in the true gospel. We're unified in what Christ has actually done and who God is. We're unified in our purpose, in the fact that we are striving together for the gospel. He's not saying, hey guys, be unified just in, you know, repaving the parking lot or something like that. Be unified in, in the colors that you like for the, for the roof or something like that. He's saying, I want you to be unified together in your purpose for being here. Why are you here? Is it just to hear some good music and some uh, good sermon? Is it just so you can get it done? Is it just so you can clock in and clock out and say, I've done my church duty? He says, you be like-minded of one mind. He says, I want you to be of the same purpose. Your purpose here is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you will be equipped to go out into a lost and dying world and spread the good news of Christ and bring other people into the kingdom who are lost and on their way to hell. What is your purpose? He says, be like-minded, but it's not just that. He said, I also want you to have your hearts knitted together in love. 
He says, having the two in the middle, you see it? There's four things. Be like-minded, have same love, be of one accord, one mind. The two in the middle, same love and one accord. That deals with your heart towards one another. The same love, you love the brethren. You weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. We've said that over and over again. It's talking about investing yourself in the body of Christ. We've said it many a time. Jesus said, there's no greater love than a man has that he would lay down his life for his friends. He says, if you, he says, this is the command that I give you in the upper room, John chapter 13, 14, 15. He said, this is the command that I give you. As I have loved you, so love one another. Love one another. Strive with one another. Bear one another's burdens. You you go through and look in the New Testament at the one another commands. There's 60 or 70 of them just in the New Testament. Be with one another. Comfort one another with these words. Over and over and over and over again. One another. One another. Do this for one another. Invest yourself in one another. He says, I I call you to fulfill my joy. If you've been saved, if you have the consolation of Christ, if you have the comfort of love and the fellowship of the spirit, if you've received the bowels of mercy, he says, then fulfill my joy by being like minded, by having the same love for one another. By being of one accord, striving together, being in one mind. He says, if God has given you the comfort of his love, then you all should have the same love for one another. You all should have the same love as you and all the body of Christ goes out into the world to be a light in a dark place. You should have the same love when you come together and assemble together for the, for the, the, the preaching of the word of Christ, the worship of this God who we say we believe. He says, have the same love, be like-minded. And he says, you know, it, it kind of sounds good. It, I mean, it really does. And we can say, you know, you're right. I, I agree with you. I mean, who wouldn't agree with that? I mean, really, if I, I could stand up in front of a bunch of heathens and say, you know what? We all need to love one another. And everybody would say, yeah, that's right. We could all agree on that. I mean, you don't have to be real sanctified to agree that, you know, the world needs love. I think it's some song that says that too. We would pretty much all, the whole world would say, oh yeah, we need more love. We need to love one another. But Paul does not let them, does not let it just lay out there in the air. He doesn't just lay out there and let it lay out there in the air and say, you know what? We all need to love and y'all and everybody would say, you know what? You're right. Let's all love. We got to do better. And we just have this vague notion of, hey, we need to love some more. Okay, well, let's, let's go love some more. No, he's going to bring it right down to a personal level. And he's going to say, it starts with you. How are you? What's step number one in your life? It's not just for this whole group. I mean, I don't know how many people's here right now, but it's not just for y'all as a group together. It's for you as an individual to begin to be of the same mind, to begin to be of the same heart, to begin to be of the of the same love. It's for you to begin. And this is how it starts. He says, he says, look, what you got to do, this is what I want you to do. If there's comfort of love, if there's consolation in Christ, if you've been saved, he says, first thing, don't do anything 
Don't do anything through strife or vainglory. Vainglory is like empty glory. What he's talking about there is he's talking about getting mine. He's talking about having the, the name recognition. I get recognition for what I've done. He's talking about having men glory at you, having men praise you, having, you know, being first in line for the chicken. He's talking about you getting yours. That's what we all want, isn't it? Come on, don't be, don't, don't be honest. There's something inside of us that I want to be first in line. I want to make sure I get mine before everybody else gets theirs. I want to make sure that people recognize when I do something, I've done it well and go on and pat me on the back. That's empty glory. That's vain glory. It doesn't, it doesn't amount to anything. We're going to see next week as we talk about what Christ did. He's the example. He said he, you know, he having all this, the being in the very image of God, being the form of God, he, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He laid it aside to become a servant. He's going to talk about that and God glorifying him to the highest place. He's saying, but what we do is we don't let anything be done through strife and through vainglory. We don't let anything be done through pride. He says, but in lowliness of mind, in humility of mind. Now, this is tough. Brace yourself. Hold on to your seat. Let each, that's everyone, that's personal. That's you, that's you, that's you. Not just us as a big amorphous group. It's you. He says, you esteem of better. Than yourself. And so you heard the golden rule. Golden rules. And it's a scripture. Do unto others as they as you'd have them do unto you. I heard somebody one time call this the platinum rule. It says you esteem others better than yourself. You esteem others better than yourself with lowliness of mind. Isn't that what Jesus did? We're going to see that next week. Chapter two of Philippians is one of the most beautiful. The theologians call it the Carmen Christi, the hymn to Christ. It's one of the most beautiful passages. Talks about Christ, Jesus, who was in the very form of God, who was equal with God. The son of God being equal with the father in in divinity. He was equal with God, but he chose to take on the form of a servant. And be born in the likeness of men, not just to be, not just to condescend in that humility, but to actually give himself to die in the most humiliating way possible. So that you and I and the world could be saved. And so what he says is, you model yourself. Are you a Christian? You know what Christian means? It means you are a follower of Christ. You do what he did. You live, you, you model your life. We, we can't be perfect, I'm not saying that, but you model your life after the way Christ walked and lived and he was the picture of esteeming others better than himself. He could have stayed in glory and never gave us an opportunity. And you think, well, that's really not fair. God, owes, God don't owe you anything. There are angels that fell the same way you and I fell before the creation of the world and God never offered them redemption. They never have an, they don't even have an opportunity to repent of their sin and believe. No, no, God didn't, the, the son of God didn't come as man and angel to redeem angels. There are fallen angels that are going to be fallen for all eternity with no opportunity, but he loved the world so much that he took the form of a man, became a servant and died on a cross. So you and I could have an opportunity 
to come and to trust him. And so if I, if I look at myself as better than, I don't know, Charlie or whoever, I'm not following Christ. And none of y'all, none of us, I wouldn't either. None of us would say, well, I'm better than all them. I mean, none of us would ever let that. I mean, that just sounds bad. You, you wouldn't ever say that. You wouldn't think that. You know, I really do know that I'm not better than anybody else. But what does it say when you refuse to invest your life in each other? What does that say? It says, I'm better than everybody else. I just worry about my own stuff and everybody else just need to worry about their own stuff. I'm not talking about you running out and paying everybody's bills or something like that. I'm talking about you investing your life in the body of Christ. You are here united with the brethren. You are here as part of the body of Christ. You know, if your if your ear stops working, the body don't work the way it's supposed to. Each part of the body, you're part of the body. We're built as living stones in the house of God. You're part of the body. And when part of the body says, you know what? I'm not going to function for this thing that's called the body. I'm not going to, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know what happens? It starts dying. When your appendix says, you know what? I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to. I don't know what the appendix does anyway. Y'all It might not be a good example, but when your appendix or whatever it said, or your tonsils, I'm not going to, I refuse to work with this body anymore. You know what happens? I take that joker out. You know what happens if, if, if you cut your hand off, don't nobody do that. But if you cut your hand off and lay it on the table, you know what happens to your hand? Immediately, immediately it starts dying. You leave it on that table for a week or two, you'll be able to smell it. If it's not connected to the body, it's not growing, it's dying. And so understand what he's saying here. He says, look, this is what, this is not just a, hey guys, come on, let's be united together. This is personal. This is you. This is what we do. We, we don't let anything in my life be done through strife or vainglory. I don't do nothing to get patted on the back. I don't do nothing so people recognize me. I don't keep my mind on, I don't keep my mind on my own glory, my own stuff, my own needs, my own whatever. But in lowliness of mind, I esteem others better than myself. It's good practice. Listen, try this this week. You walk around, you interact with all kind of people at your job, at your work, at your you know, family, at your schools, wherever you go. Practice that. Walk around and that person right there, they better than me. That person right there. Just, just practice it and see what happens in your heart. The first, you start saying stuff like that in your mind, your heart's like, whoa, wait a minute now. Wait a minute, hold on. Not that person. I mean, they got all kind of stuff going on. You can't esteem anybody better than yourself until you start recognizing how sinful we really are. Until you start recognizing how sinful I really am. Last verse, verse four, we'll leave. I'm already need to quit. He says, this is what you do. You look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That is not natural. That's not natural. That's not something your heart does on its own. 
That's not something, that's not a way that we think. That's just, that's so far from who we are. But if there's consolation in Christ, if there's comfort and love, if you've been changed by the gospel, the spirit of God lives in you. Understand that Jesus died for that person too. We're talking about in the body of Christ now. Jesus died for that person. What did Jesus see in that person that you can't see? What did Jesus see in that person who's part of the body of Christ? What did he see in them that you and I can't see? Why did he give his life for them? And you and I are saying, I'm not getting around that person. Forget that. They got all kind of messed up things going on. Now, when it's talking about your things, it's not talking about just your house and your car and all that. When it says, look, you know, I'd be happy to look on somebody else's house. They'll let me stay there for a little while. He's talking about you watch out for each other. You look upon each other. You you keep each other in mind just as you would your brother, sister, people in your family. I mean, you think about if you got family members that, you know, maybe going off in the wrong direction or may need your comfort or support or whatever. What do you do? You go right to them and you say, look, I need to help you. I know things are bad. I this, the body of Christ are, is your family. It's your brothers and sisters. It's why you are here. You're here to be part of the body of Christ. And so this is not just, it's not just a rule out there in space somewhere out there in the air where we just got to love more. Come on, guys, let's love more. This is for you personally. Don't do anything through vain glory to get glory for yourself, for your own self and your selfish stuff. I'm the same way. He said, you think esteem others better than yourself and you don't look to your own stuff. I know you got problems. I know you got things going on. I know you got things that you want and you need. He says, but you in the body of Christ, you don't look to your own things. Not that you don't look to your things. You see that little word says also, he says, you look to your own things, but every man also on the things of others. He's not saying just be, you know, forget about yourself and don't worry about your own problems and don't deal with your. He's not saying that. He's saying, look, you're dealing with your own stuff. Don't look on your own things, but also look on the things of others. Be part of the body of Christ. Now, last thing we're going. Does that do you have a desire to do that? A desire to look. I mean, that's not a natural thing. To look on the things of others, to esteem other people better than yourself, that's not natural. That's not natural at all. All of us from when we're little babies, I mean, you look at a baby, they want what they want and they want it right now. And if you take my toy away from me, I'm going to smack you upside the head and bite you and cry until I get what I want. That's not natural. So if you don't have a desire, I'm not saying you're doing good. I'm not doing good at looking on the other things Looking on people, other people's things like I look on my own or esteeming other people's better than I'm not saying you got to do good and you better be doing this much and all that. I'm saying, do you have the desire in your heart? To be selfless, to be humble and to love one another like Christ has loved you. That is the evidence that you have the consolation, which is in Christ, the comfort of love by the father. And the fellowship of the spirit. And if that desire is not there and you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. He's crazy. He's just crazy. That's insane. You need to be saved. Because 
Paul says, if all this is true in your life, the gospel, if all this is true, this salvation, then you fulfill my joy by showing it through this. You and I probably aren't doing as good as we should, but we have a heart that says, I want to serve Jesus Christ. If you need to be saved today, you come. Father, we love you. We thank you today for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word. God, I just pray that you would come today and that you would minister to us. Uh, Show us what you need us to be, what you want us to be today as we